<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us as we pursue and protect truth, justice, and the American way. High prices are dimming the outlook for our economy. Inflation is, in fact, worsening, and there is no end in sight for what is now clearly the onset of an inflationary cycle. Food and energy prices are rising quickly and will, of course, be felt throughout the economy. And those higher prices, if they don't ease, will slow the consumer demand and slow as well the overall economy. The Biden White House ending the illegal immigrant expulsion policy that will bring an estimated 300,000 illegals into this country each month, three and a half million in the next year alone. This after two million illegals entered the United States in President Biden's first year and 1.6 million were released into our country. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki defended the president by claiming Republicans are politicizing the border crisis, while Saki actually admitted the border is broken. President Biden's poll numbers certainly aren't improving. 57% of those surveyed in the new Rasmussen poll disapprove of the way he's doing his job as president. 64% say the country is headed in the wrong direction. Not good for President Biden and not good for the Democrats. Here with us today is the former Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Newt Gingrich. No one better credential to address our national politics and American governance. Newt is also a best-selling author. In fact, his newest book will be out in June. It's entitled Defeating Big Government Socialism, and you can pre-order your copy now. I recommend all of Newt's books. His website is Gingrich360.com for all things Gingrich. Newt is also a podcaster, historian, and great American. Newt, first of all, it's a, a great uh, honor to have you with us here on the Great America Show. And I am just fascinated to hear your, your summarization of where the Republican Party is right now. Uh, a lot of talk about red waves. Uh, and then some talk about we must be cautious. Uh, your thoughts? Well, look, I don't think you can ever <clears throat> take anything for granted. Uh, I think that uh, <clears throat> right now all the patterns tend to favor the Republicans. I would be very, very surprised if uh, we didn't have Kevin McCarthy as the uh, Speaker of the House next year because they only need to pick up five seats. And uh, given, given the current data, <clears throat> they're more likely to pick up 40 than they are to pick up five. Uh, so I'm pretty confident about the House. And I think, frankly, the Senate's starting to get in better and better shape. I mean, Nevada, for example, uh, the Democrats are just collapsing uh, because, you know, things aren't working between high gasoline prices, high food prices, and the impact of the governor's mistakes in COVID. You have in Nevada, I think, some 10,000 
workers at the resorts who are still unemployed. Well, they're not very excited about the job the Democrats have done. And so you actually see uh, Latinos in, in, uh, uh, in Nevada now breaking Republican in very big numbers, uh, something which is truly historic. So I, I think overall this could be a great year. I think, uh, you know, it's at least in part a great year because the combination of, I think, three things. Um, the personalities, I mean, you have between Biden, Harris, uh, Schumer, Pelosi, uh, people who are just not very desirable as leaders. And in the House, the top three House members on the Democratic side are so old that their collective age would be would take you back to 1777, <laughs> 10 years before the, you know, the Constitution was adopted. I mean, so people look at that, and it's one thing to, to be older and succeed, but if you're older and you're not succeeding, they sort of compound. I think second, uh, <clears throat> there's a plain-out performance problem. Uh, you know, we've had Hillary and, and Barack Obama both say, oh, it's a messaging problem. Well, when you're out there, and you're filling up your gas tank. I, I filled up uh, Callista's car the other night, and it was $91. Now, at $91, there's no messaging that makes you feel good. You go to the grocery store and look at the price of beef or the price of chicken. Uh, wheat is going to go up dramatically this year because uh, the Ukraine is a very, very big wheat producer. And the fact is that you have... Um, about 40% of the world's wheat uh, supply comes from Russia and Ukraine. So you're going to have huge pricing uh, impacts there. Those are the kind of things you have to think about that uh, are all coming together as a performance problem. And then lastly, you have a plain out values problem. I mean, when, when you start talking to people and, they, and you ask them, you know, do, do you really think that three-year-olds ought to be, or, or ought to be involved in, in discussing transgender issues? They think you're nuts. I mean, the average American doesn't get where, where the left is on all these cultural things. So I think those three things all come together in a way which is stunningly destructive. Uh, this is really a battle cry right now uh, from, from middle America. Is the Republican Party, in your judgment, uh, being strong enough on the issue, are they uh, building this into their national campaign? I realize we're talking about a, a, a midterm, but a national campaign because it seems such a uh, compelling issue. Well, I think it's growing as an issue. And you, you see uh, the reaction, for example, to <clears throat> the bill that uh, Governor DeSantis got passed in Florida uh, that says that you can't discuss it before third, you know, until they get out of the third grade. Well, you know, 84% of the country believes parents ought to have the right to know what's happening in, in their child's school. So just just start with that. I mean, and I think you'll see that become a national Republican position uh, all across the country, that, that you as a parent have a right to know what teachers are, are doing with your children. And, of course, the teachers' union is bitterly opposed to that. Uh, and naturally. And, and the teachers' unions, for the first time in my career, are actually in the in the focus uh, of the public uh, and blaming them uh, for much of what has occurred as a result of COVID and the way in which they responded by closing down schools, insisting that they be protected, uh, in quotes. Uh, it's really a strange moment uh, that this should be happening right now. Your thoughts on that issue? Well, I, I think you have this whole notion, and I think you're exactly right, that you have 
people who, who first of all, go to these woke universities and then they end up uh, teaching, and their values are radically different than the values of the parents. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out, for example, not only do 84% of the country think that parents have every right to know what is being taught their children, but uh, an equal 84% believe that America is, is worth fighting for, that our values and principles are worth fighting for. Well, you know, if you're a, if you're a left-winger who's anti-American, these things are just anathema to you. And so there's, there is a real potential fight between uh, the parents and those who believe in defending America and the, the teachers' union and its more radical members. And radical members galore, uh, most uh, funding of political campaigns and candidates from uh, the two major teachers' unions overwhelmingly goes to Democrats. That in and of itself is a, a tremendous statement about uh, what needs to be done to assure local control of public education, don't you think? Well, I think that's exactly right. And what you what you end up with is a situation where, you know, I think one of every four delegates at the last Democratic convention was from the teachers' union. And so, in a sense, they're they're a the Democrats are kind of a wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, and if you look at the, the the people who lead the teachers' union, they're all hardline left wingers. The post office has six public employee unions. The federal government is unionized for crying out loud. State governments unionize county and so forth throughout the country. And without without public employee unions, well, that's right. And you end up in a situation, I think. Uh, that when you're you're dealing with uh, <clears throat> the average American for a very long time, we just assumed that the teachers were normal, that you could trust them. I mean, you know, there's a certain built-in psychological need right. to be able to say, you know, that that I'm sending my child to somebody I can trust. And now I think one of the one of the side effects of people staying home and the schools going to distance learning was all of a sudden uh, parents learned. Um, what what in, what in fact was happening in their schools, and I think they were shocked. I I, I think that's a great point because uh, it, it also taught us a lot about maybe we could reclaim some decentralization in our lives, whether it's going into work, whether it is uh, simply trying to build up a, a life at home in your neighborhood, in your community when many people were spending most of their time commuting back and forth to work. I think that's right. And uh, I, th I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going through so many different changes right now, and we're going to be so disrupted by things like inflation, crime, uh, millions of illegal immigrants. I mean, the, the, the degree to which the left has, has broken down the system, people like George Soros putting in millions of dollars to elect pro-criminal anti-victim uh, uh, district attorneys, uh, some of whom are by any reasonable standard certifiably crazy, yep. uh, who people who would put rapists and murderers and carjackers back on the street. Um, you know, I think I think the country is taking a measure of this, and the, and the country doesn't find it very acceptable. So I think there's a chance here that you may be about to have uh, a literally an American majority much bigger than a Republican majority. And you may be about to have people, uh, anti-left Democrats, independents, and Republicans all coming together 
Uh, and that would really be a remarkable moment. Yeah, and that moment uh, may be upon us. One of the numbers that I, th I think doesn't get a, enough attention, uh, again, certainly in the media, is the number of independents who are uh, responding in the affirmative when they talk about Republicans and the, uh, and the midterm elections. They're obviously, for the first time, overwhelmingly moving toward the Republican Party. How important is that in your judgment? Well, I think what you're seeing is is the Democratic Party beginning to be crowded back into being sort of woke uh, college professionals uh, who are isolated from the whole rest of the country. Um, and uh, there's a very interesting book called Coming Apart, which looked at by Charles Murray, who, who looked at, at the zip codes and said, mm -hmm. there are a set of zip codes in the U.S., where people who went to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, et cetera, uh, marry people who go to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford. And those zip codes are totally different from the whole rest of the country. Right. And, Charles... and when, you know, it's a fascinating small book. And I happened to read it during the rise of Trump in uh, 2016. And I would tell reporters, you know, if, if The Apprentice had been on PBS and had followed Downton Abbey, you would understand why he's so good. But the fact is that because he was on commercial television, none of you watched it. None of you saw The Apprentice. None of you had any right. idea what he was like. Right. Uh, and it was just, uh, you know, and I, th and I think that this is something you see happening. So for a long time, the woke college graduates were held up by, by Latinos and by African-Americans and others. But increasingly... The working, the ethnic minority working group, the people who actually go out every day and earn a living, they're looking at gas prices, they're looking at food prices, they're listening to these weird ideas. They don't want their kids, you know, they don't want their daughters in a bathroom with some guy who's claiming to be a girl. Uh, they don't want to see their, their, child, their daughter lose a swimming match to some guy who's clearly male, et cetera. And so what you end up with is... A, a very deep desire uh, by a growing number. I, I think we may actually get a majority of the Latino vote and about 30% of the African-American vote this year. And and that's really a remarkable change. That would be truly dr a dramatic uh, and historic change. Uh, with those numbers that high, uh, the Democratic Party uh, <laughs> would be on the edge of the abyss, wouldn't they? Well, look, I think there's a chance if, if Republicans can really think about being the um, the American majority party and can really reach out to independents and to to uh, disaffected Democrats, and which is what Reagan did so brilliantly, bring them all together. I think you could see a new governing majority emerge, uh, particularly if after they win, they keep their word, they 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 find ways to be helpful. You know, this was sort of what Reagan did in the 80s. I'm actually beginning to write some newsletters at Gingrich 360. I'm going to write a series of four newsletters on the concept of, of creating a, an American majority rather than a Republican majority. And if that happens, then you have ended the, the Rooseveltian majority after 90 years, and you've really changed fundamentally uh, how this country is going to solve its problems.
Well, I, I can't wait to read your thoughts on that, but uh, give us a bit of a prelude, if you will, because the right now the left controls every aspect of our lives in point of fact, business, government, education, media. I can't think of a single quarter where the left, and in many cases, excuse me, in most cases, they're Marxist leftists. Uh, it, it is, it's hard to envision there being a quick, uh, sudden uh, reshaping of the body politic. Well, I, look, I think you put your finger on, on one of the great challenges. I keep on my desk the 1,093-page book that Heritage produced uh, called Mandate for Leadership, mm -hmm. which they did for Reagan in 1980. They brought in 250 experts. They outlined how to reshape the federal government very dramatically. Reagan came into office, picked up the book, hired all these people. Uh, and there's a famous scene in the, in the uh, cabinet room where Ed Meese puts the book on the table and says, this is our plan. <laughs> it was just, you know. And That's so they were able to really take over the government. We need the same depth of thinking now. We need to recognize that whether it's the Pentagon or, or Health and Human Services or the Department of Education, all of these large, creaky, old bureaucracies infiltrated and infested by left-wingers who uh, have contempt for the voter and contempt for elected officials and, frankly, contempt for the law. That's all going to have to be cleaned out. And unless we're prepared to do that, we're not going to be capable of really turning the corner. You know, you can win one election on bad performance, but you can't build a majority in the long run just on bad performance. Well, Donald Trump was, I think, just a historic leader. I No one since Reagan had had his impact. No one since FDR, in my judgment, had done as much in terms of domestic policy as he did. Uh, in four years, uh, in their first four years, I, I'm all for that. And I would, uh, and I am about as anti-establishment as any Republican can be, I believe. But I don't know where you turn in academia. That's what is my point. Because well, you may uh, not. You, look, you may just have to turn to smart business people. Um, I mean, frankly, I'd rather have a smart conservative football coach than have a, a dumb left-wing college professor. Okay, well, I take your point. Uh, I, and, and my point, again, is that right now we are bereft uh, of real talent in either social, social criticism or conservatism itself uh, in academia. Why is that? Well, that's because they get crowded out, because the other side understood that uh, they were totally committed uh, to driving everybody out of uh, public life that didn't uh, kowtow and agree with them. And it's almost a Maoist groupthink model. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. you just have to recognize that. So our job is to go out and to find people who have the courage to stand up. You, you'll find them in, in individual places. You'll find them in some of the think tanks. Uh, you'll find them in businesses. You'll find them in Republican state governments. My, my guess would be, if you were, you, you know, he might not want you to do it, but if you went down to Florida, uh, the DeSantis has gotten... 50 or 100 really smart people running the Florida state government. He really uh, does. DeSantis is, uh, he is a phenomenon, isn't he? He really is. I, I would say that, that, that other than Trump, he is the, the most exciting and uh, most interesting person that, that I have 
uh, seen come along from a Republican side, and I think that he clearly has a great national future. Yeah, he's also got $100 million in his war chest to, to, for re-election, which is assured. So that becomes, do you think he's going to be running, irrespective of whether I, President I, I, Trump? Well, I suspect he might be. I think, look, I always tell people, it's a long way from here to 2024. At this point in 2014, nobody would have thought Donald Trump was even going to run. Right. I, I want to talk, too, about just the system. Because of all that, if they, if the Republican Party has the wisdom to follow your guidance and the and your thinking, uh, your architecture for what should be done, if indeed uh, the the red wave uh, builds and comes crashing uh, down on the on the polls on election day, what is to assure us that the electoral system won't be rigged? just as it was in 2020? Oh, I think, first of all, that a lot of states have adopted rules that, that make it much harder, that they learn from it. I think I would say to everybody who's concerned that they should see uh, the great new film from Citizens United uh, called Rigged, which is was about uh, basically uh, what uh, Zuckerberg did with $415 million. So I think in that sense, um, if you watch rigged, you'll, you'll understand that a lot of the election setup occurred long before the election, that the left was determined to methodically defeat Trump by any means they had to. It is a, it's an incredible. I think it's the best documentary that David Bossie has produced. He's he's done some uh, great uh, documentaries, but this is so clearly and so uh, entertainingly. Uh, elucidates what actually happened, particularly in the three battleground states, uh, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, uh, and Georgia. 42,000 votes, 10,000 in Arizona, 11,000 in Wisconsin, uh, and, and 20, 21,000, 22,000, you could argue the point. But it comes out to 42,000 among three states that made the difference in the outcome of that election. That means something should have been done because if it's rigged, it isn't right, is it? No, that's right. No, I think, look, if you're an average everyday American and you don't have a spare billion dollars, uh, clearly uh, you had billionaires trying to take control of the country. And you had uh, Google and Facebook and uh, Twitter cheating by every any reasonable standard. I mean, when, when you take the President of the United States off of uh, social media, uh, you're, and you're denying, and, and he gets 73 million votes. Uh, you have to ask yourself, you know, by what right, what's their moral authority right. for for denying the president access? When when you take the oldest newspaper in the United States and the fourth largest newspaper in the United States, the New York Post, and you cut it off of social media because it is accurately reporting on uh, Hunter Biden's corruption, something which now even the New York Times and Washington Post are finally admitting to two years later. Uh, you know there's something sick about how the left was, was cheating and what the left was doing. And to suggest that all of that happened uh, as pure happenstance and coincidence that the timing was, if not it was contemporaneous, uh, it was simultaneous in most instances in point of fact, uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post, though, to their discredit, have not acknowledged their responsibility and the consequences of that decision to cover up for Joe Biden 
and the 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 laptop. It, it's it's disgusting. And as you point out, there's a there's a a number of events had they been controlled had William Barr had the guts as he knew Joe Biden was lying in that debate to have said, excuse me, I think it's important that we point out that this is an active investigation, that this is a real laptop. And those 50 Intel officers are simply not aware of the reality. He considered that intervention had he done that. Meanwhile, he also acknowledges that Joe Biden lying is an intervention of itself. What do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that the when the Republicans take over, that the Intelligence Committee has to really dive into the profound dishonesty of over 50 leading figures in the intelligence community signing a letter which is totally false. I mean, there's something really sick about people who are trusted by the American people because they were seen as senior intelligence people, and mm. they and they all collectively lied. So from that standpoint, I think there's a lot that has to be done, and I think it's also a reminder that most of these bureaucracies are left-wing. Most of these bureaucrats are quite prepared to cheat, uh, and that you you have to really understand how much they are committed <clears throat> to uh, defeating Trump no matter what and no matter how many laws they broke. I, I thought it was truly remarkable uh, the way in which um, the, the underlying professionals, the FBI, the CIA, mm-hmm. uh, the Justice Department, they were all cheating. And and it's, it's just remarkable. I, I don't remember any time in American history that it was like this, and it was a dramatically bigger than anything that we saw happening in Watergate. I mean, you, you look at the stupidity of Watergate, and then you look at this stuff, and you can tell that there was just uh, no comparison about uh, the way in which this operated. There's sort of a reflex on the part of some to say about the FBI when I say, you know, they're cheating, they're crooked, and that's the way it is. Uh, there's no if ands, buts. It's unequivocal. And they'll say, yes, but there are good people within it. And then I'll say the CIA, the same thing, And the, but there are good people in it. What strikes me, Newt, is there may be good people in it, but not a single damn one stepped up and expressed himself or herself uh, in favor of the American people and just simple decency and honesty. No, I mean, that's, that's, look, that's exactly right. I mean, you're in a situation where you're being told um, – that these are really uh, honorable people, but in fact, their honor didn't come to insisting on the truth or breaking from the group. And my question then goes to the very simple uh, matter of what next uh, should we do about the Republican Party itself? Uh, You mentioned uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, He, in the minds of many, uh, is, is rather weak to be the leader. He attacked the president right after January 6th. He's uh, he's bowed down to the January 6th committee uh, and has been too too often uh, very, I'll put it this way, flexible with the Democratic leadership. Yeah, I, was, I, I mean, I guess I, I, having been speaker, I guess I see it somewhat differently. Uh, <clears throat> McCarthy opposed the committee, refused to assign any Republicans to serve on it, and has consistently attacked it. Uh, but, you know, the House is a place where if you have 218 votes, you can just run over people. So I think uh, under the rules of the House, uh, Pelosi had certain advantages 
and she used him, but he didn't collaborate with her. If anything, uh, he's he's been very tough, and I think you're going to see when he uh, is in a position to uh, wield power that he will be, you know, there's going to be some significant payback, and there already has been. I mean, look look what he did in terms of uh, of Liz Cheney, who you know was uh, supposed, you know, she was in the leadership, she was in the number three position in the leadership, and then boom, she wasn't. Yeah, and uh, she was uh, censured, uh, if you will. But uh, why not just expel her from the party after what she had done? Uh, she, th- there's just an attitude within the the house. Well, I mean, I mean, what McCarthy, what McCarthy has done, uh, to just stay with him for a minute, is he has openly endorsed and raised money for, um, her, for her opponent. Right. And right. and has said we you know we ought to beat her. She shouldn't come back. I think their their view was that if they kicked her out of the party while she was still serving, uh, Nancy would just appoint her to something else, and she would become, you know, it would would further prove that inside the House right now, the Speaker has power, which is, in fact, how the House works. Well, the House members that that I've spoken with are concerned that he has, uh, in point of fact, not been strong enough, not loud enough on issues that matter. Uh, including uh, the impeachment of the president twice. Uh, he has not been loud enough uh, when it comes to the January 6th committee. Uh, and the laptop, uh, why in the world with the, this in front of him? Is there not a Republican investigation of it? I think you do have Republicans who are, are raising cane. You have Republicans who are you know, trying to pressure the Justice Department. And I think that you'll find that... Uh, the morning they that they control the house that they will in fact be organizing a whole series of those kind of investigations um i mean i'm not quite sure what what it is they would do right now because they don't technically have the legal ability to they can't uh go out and and uh, subpoena anybody um uh, they they certainly talk about it a lot and and i, I think that's I guess what I'm saying, Newt, is I would like to see if they, if they could uh, gen up nothing other than public education. It would be extremely right. helpful to the party. Uh, it would also show that there's some grit and gristle to them uh, that isn't really very apparent right now. They got outsmarted in 2020. This with President Trump saying as early as May the election was rigged and the RNC did nothing. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I talked with uh, the RNC and uh, officials who assured me that they had all the people on the ground that they needed. They had all the attorneys. They were ready to go. They were going to be at every uh, polling station, and they're going to be uh, diligent and uh, and energetic. And none of it happened. Uh, it, it's it was a pathetic performance on the again on the part of the RNC. And in 2016, Trump had won despite the RNC. So what are we to do? I mean, I watched last year, for example, and Youngkin did it right, and they had 4,000 people as poll watchers, mm-hmm. uh, and they got a pretty honest count, and they got the state to agree that all the absentee ballots would be counted first. So you didn't, they didn't have any ability to go back to the absentee ballots and say, you know, gee, we need another couple thousand because they'd right. already been counted and locked down. And I think that's a model for the future. Uh, I, I do think all of us, and I include me in this, I had no idea uh, how much, and then this is part of why Bossy's movie couldn't be made any faster, because they had to get these various reports filed, and they legally didn't have to be filed till the end of the year. 
But when, once you look at the follow the money, um, mm-hmm. it is staggering how big an effort that was. And I think all of us in that sense uh, were caught flat-footed. I mean, not, we, we just never occurred to us that somebody would go out here and spend $415 million on the election directly through city governments in a way that clearly uh, is, is totally corrupt. And I, I think, you know, I, I will, speaking for myself, I was certainly caught flat-footed. But what happened in five cities in Wisconsin uh, with the what uh, amounted to, according to Gableman, uh, the uh, Michael Gableman, the uh, uh, special counsel investigating it and still investigating it, you know, it was election bribery straight out. Yep, uh, I think that's and right. It, and, and, and it was bribery then. It's bribery now. And that's a felony. Yet nobody has prosecuted the Bill Barr. Again, the attorney general had every responsibility uh, and obligation to investigate and did not. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a perfect storm of indolence, incompetence, and, and, and meek, lily-livered uh, elected officials and appointed officials. Couldn't have happened at a worse time for the people or for the, for the president. Well, and I think that it illustrated just how viciously and totally the establishment was dedicated to blocking the American yes. people from having an honest election. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, I'm sure that we're going to uh, see that red wave uh, you speak of. And I I know that the, the Democrats are going to do everything they can uh, to uh, wrest victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, you want to give us your sense of what you think uh, the uh, the outcome will be in November? And I know uh, it's early I were, days. If I were, yeah, if I were <laughs> guessing, we'll probably be plus four in the Senate, and I think we'll be somewhere between forty and seventy in the House. From your lips to God's ears, Newt Gingrich, it's great to have you with us. We great. appreciate it so much. Well, it's always uh, terrific, and I look forward to doing it again, Lou. Newt Gingrich. Great American. And I really like his midterm election prediction. Tomorrow, our guest will be Congresswoman Claudia Tinney. She's a conservative. She's smart and a fighter for truth, justice, and the American way. You'll like her a lot. Please join us. We want to invite you to sign up for our Great America show advisory and newsletter. Simply go to ludobs.com. That's ludobs.com and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you. That's ludobs.com. Thanks. God bless you. And God bless America.